This is the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise Guys Show with Matt and Dr. Iggy, helping you achieve peak health and financial freedom so that you can live a long, vibrant life on your own terms. And now, here are your hosts, Matt and Dr. Iggy. If I can get someone to do 80% of what I do, that's a recipe for success. Welcome, welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, Wise Guys Show, everybody here. My name is Matt. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Iggy. Dr. Iggy, how are you today? What is going on? This is fantastic. What a yeah. show. What a show. How are you what feeling? It's a great show, and I'm, I'm feeling great as always, thanks to my health tips from Dr. Iggy. Took my cold shower this morning, took a big handful of vitamin supplements on my way out the door. It is two in the afternoon, and I have not eaten yet today, so mm-hmm. I'm- uh, You're fat. pushing the limits now. You're yeah, I know, I know. I, I got a packed lunch over here. You might hear my stomach growl a little bit during the show um, and that, but uh, I'm, I'm uh, going to break the fast in a second here, but- um, I am feeling good, and uh, my you know my body's in in ketosis, man. It's processing itself and burning off that burning off the fat, and um, you know I've got plenty of vitamins and minerals in my blood, and I've got had a big fat cold shower this morning, so I'm feeling good. I love it. Yeah, uh, let's talk in health stuff, Doctor Iggy. Take us away with our health tip for the day. Well, one of the things that we forget about in how we can control our stomach growling and all that stuff is because that's controlled by one of our nervous systems. It's actually two, but one is the parasympathetic nervous system. And so one of the things that I do, especially if I'm feeling stressed, and I think I talked about breathing before, but another technique is box breathing. And I don't know, Matt, have you ever tried box breathing? I'm sure you have. Some Navy SEALs do it. Yeah, but talk us through it. Yeah, so I like to do, and it's it's basically you do five breaths in, then you hold for five seconds, then you do five breaths out, or not five breaths out, five breaths in. Five seconds, you, you breathe in, then you hold for five seconds, then you breathe out for five seconds, and so then you hold again. You breathe again. in for five, you, you know, stop, stopwatch, in for five seconds, like one, yes. two, three. Four, five, and you hold it one, right? And then you let it out for five on the back end, right? Okay. Okay. If you do that for me, I mean, each one of us individually is different, but if I do that, especially before a race or before an event or something big, it resets your nervous system and you feel it's just like another life hack. And it's another way that you can trick your nervous system. If you have breathing difficulties, you can start with two seconds and do this for two seconds. And there's apps out there. You can go on YouTube, you can download box breathing and you can follow it. And it's, it's the smoothest thing. And if you do it through your nose, you make it even more parasympathetic as you open up, uh, you, you vasodilate or you open up, uh, uh, the the area and so and you create more what they call nitric oxide which which dilates your blood vessels so it is one of those cool super cool uh tricks that you can do for how long are you doing that five second five second or whatever it is two second two second two second three second whatever people can handle how long do you do that for to feel the effects oh you need like at least five hours what <laughs> No, like two or three minutes and you're feeling. Wow. Okay. Yeah, two or three minutes and everyone's different. Yeah. Um, Not the five hours. If you can do that for five hours, that (laughs) will be most impressive. We may have to call you a monk. I mean, that's uh, that's super impressive. Right, right. You can work your way up to that. But a couple of minutes to feel the effects and it's going to create more peace 
um, as you said, opens up your blood flow and just kind of brings the energy back down to balance, right? It grounds you. Yeah. And, and, and it's kind of funny that you would think something as simple as that would change you, but it yes. does change you. Mm-hmm. And it brings you back and, and you are, I mean, it's a form of meditation. You're concentrating because you're counting those seconds or you're focusing on that one thing. And when you focus on one thing, especially as busy as everybody is, it brings you back to one thing and then your mind can release. So that's super awesome. cool. That's my health tip. That's, that's I what- love it. I uh, love it. Well, uh, I, I will transition over to the health, to the wealth tip, the wealth tip. Um, and, uh, and that's, and uh, what I, the, the, the wealth tips sometimes comes in. So I've done this before, but it comes inspiration from our guests and something that we go into further on today's show um, was talking about Amazon, right? And you're like, wait a minute, Amazon, well, that's owned by Jeff Bezos. And unless I just buy stock in Amazon, it's hard to make money with Amazon. Um, well, it not, not so much true. You can actually make money along with the juggernaut that is Amazon in the following way. And this is a great wealth tip that you guys can create passive income for yourself through Amazon. Interestingly enough, when you go on amazon.com and you buy a product, um, uh, trying to think about something. Uh, most recently, I'm going on vacation with my family soon. So I went on Amazon and I bought an automatic fish feeder for my Ooh. son because he has a couple of fish, got them for him for his birthday. Those fish will not make it for the, the four or five days that we're going to be gone, man. They're not going to make it. They, they, will, they will be all floating at the top of the tank when we get home. And so I needed to get my son an automatic fish feeder. And you would think that Amazon itself sold me that automatic fish feeder, but it did not. What went down was that automatic fish feeder sat in an Amazon warehouse that someone paid Amazon rent for that fish feeder to sit on its shelf. Um, And when I went and bought it, they likely had some algorithms and search engines and SEO going on on Amazon that made my search go to the top of the fold on, on themselves. And they kind of, you know, worked out, they worked out their magic with Amazon to make my, my, you know, my search show their product. Um, and that, and I chose it. Amazon makes their cut on the sale. The reseller makes their cut on the sale too. And everybody makes a little bit of profit. So Amazon, although they are a great provider of product for us to go buy, you as an investor can find something or find yourself a reseller and bankroll them, whatever it may be, to put a bunch of product on Amazon um, for it to be sold. And you can make a great spread of a profit. And, and as our guest says, there's people making seven figures, sell, buying and sell, buying lots and lots of product, warehousing it and selling it on Amazon. So it's a very open passive income vehicle. Um, I'm a real estate guy. There's paper assets and stocks, but um, the big wealth tip to bring it home here is research passive income ventures. It's not just the ones that you think that there are. There may be passive income vehicles sitting right in front of you right now that uh, that you could be involved in to make further passive income. There is your wealth tip, guys. I love it. And you explained that so well. You you, you know, you clarified that very Thank well you. in the explanation. And I, I do that sometimes. <laughs> and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and so let's continue. Let's talk about uh, let's uh, talk about the show. Yeah, well, we've got our, our guest uh, uh, segue into that is, is Dr. Joe Martin. He is an anesthesiologist, um, and we get we talk about a lot of great things. What I got from the show is about building and scaling a business. First of all, I got a good education on what an anesthesiologist is because they're not someone that just knocks you out when you have a surgery. There's a lot more art 
to the to the uh, profession. So I got a good history lesson there and a good a good idea of what they what it is that that profession does. Um, I also got an idea about ideas about scaling business, and you can try those that are not in anesthesiology do not need to stop listening to this episode right now because there's great ideas that you can glean from this episode and pull to any type of business. Really great nuggets. And you want to listen to, to, what, um, to what Dr. Joe Martin talks about throughout the episode about ways that he's built his anesthesiologist company into a multi-million dollar business um, starting from nothing. He built it all the way up. Uh, Dr. Iggy, what did you get from today's episode? I think, I mean, you saw his entrepreneurial spirit and yes. you felt it right away, but mm-hmm. I did not know that a CRNA could own and operate its own individual company. And so that taught me a lot. And it's going to teach a lot of our listeners a lot that there's multiple ways that you can enter a space. Yeah. And so I think that that's super cool. And I mean, the show is amazing. Uh, yeah. the, well, we, we already. As always, as yes. always, it's a great show, but, uh, but this is a good one, very practical, very tangible um, uh, tips that could be applied across the board. So um, here we go. Let's, uh, let's get into the episode and bring in Dr. Joe Martin. Dr. Joe Martin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me here. You're welcome, man. You're welcome. It's uh, good to have you. I've gotten to know you a bit through GoBundance, and, uh, and I appreciate you taking the time today. Um, I wanted to talk to you. Uh, because I think that you're in a, what I believe to be a bit of a misunderstood trade. Um, I'd like to understand more about it and like to understand sure. how you've leveraged your trade. And I know you've, you've built up some passive income, which we can talk about as well, but, uh, your trade is an anesthesiologist, correct? Correct. Yes. I'm a CRNA, a nurse anesthesiologist, uh, finished my doctorate at TCU in 2013 and have kind of, um, been on this path to, uh, an employee within the field to now I'm actually a business owner within the field looking to scale that. So, yeah. So people, people out there, you know, may think the anesthesiologist is someone that's the only time you see them is when like you're getting knocked out, going under the knife, they, they put you to sleep or they're there to, you know, um, they're there just to, just to kind of like put you out. They don't really do much more than that, you know, but um, it's, it's a, it's a larger role, but could you explain to us briefly in layman's terms, of course, Sure. What it is that your trade does and, and how they're a benefit to the medical community. Sure. So the best way that I use it. So I'm actually also a program director in a nurse anesthesiologist residency program. And mm-hmm. uh, I tell all the residents when they come in uh, what our role is. And so in layman's term, the surgeon is doing a procedure that is effectively trying to kill you. And the role of the anesthesiologist is I'm trying to keep you alive through that procedure. And we, we're like a dance. We work in tandem to get you through to the end result. We change your physical body. The surgeon does. And I uh, keep you alive so that you can enjoy that body at the end. I love it. I love it. I mean, that's I've never heard that description before. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, but it's so true. I mean, you think of... Uh, you know, you see the surgeries on Gray's Anatomy or House and stuff like that. And, you know, it's a little bit different than that. Uh, but uh, supporting your patient, supporting the person so that they can make it through. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, are you like, again, very land? I know you two are, uh, sure. you two are doctors, but I am not. Um, I, I always thought, okay, anesthesiologist, we're going to give you, um, you know, 50 cc's of this stuff that's going to, you know, put you into a mild coma. Um, right. and that's, you can, uh, you just don't notice what the doctor is doing. Is it more, it's probably more complex than that. Uh, and are you monitoring the patient's 
uh, you know, how are you, are you administering yeah, yeah. during the procedure to kind of balance? hundred percent, you know, yeah. so in, it's in my industry, uh, we have a lot of speakers that come into our national meetings and there's a huge correlation with aviation, right? And, and if you think of it in this parallel, uh, what anesthesia does to the pilot, we go and we present our boarding pass, we get on the plane. And next thing you know, we end up at another city and it, and it seems simple, right? But there's a ton, a ton of things going on in background knowledge of how this pilot learns to navigate that vessel and get us to our end destination. Anesthesia is the same way. Hmm. So I have to know the complete, your whole body and your physiology. When I say physiology, how your body works, how mm -hmm. the drugs I select work with your body. Uh, when's the right time to get you into that light coma or deep coma and then bring you out of it? Uh, the, the locus of control is immense. You know, I'm a little OCD and control freak as it is. And anesthesia is perfect for that. You know, if I want your heart rate at 50, I send it to 50. I don't mean 55. I don't mean 48. I mean 50. And so the drugs that we use, we tailor them to every single patient to get it where you need. And, you know, the end result, you wake up happy. Uh, you know, you wake up um, no nausea and vomiting, no pain. And it seems pretty uh, easy. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. And uh, I love it. I mean, now you're making me want to get anesthesia. I'm just kidding. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so hey, I get you... that a lot. I say, as long as I get a face sheet, I can uh, hook you up. Right. It, <laughs> so can you go over with our audience that is not medically trained, the difference sure. between an anesthetist and an anesthesiologist? I work with a lot of anesthetists and yeah, yeah. a lot of times they believe it or not, you already know this. They are mm -hmm. much more skilled with patients and with patient care than an sure. anesthesiologist. So if you would go through that, that yeah. would be great. Yeah. And so in my actual, so uh, CRNA stands for certified registered nurse anesthetist or certified registered nurse anesthesiologist. In fact, on our national level, we just had the name changed for a couple reasons. Anesthetist oh. is very difficult to say. Most people can't pronounce it. And it almost seemed like a subpar citizen. If you go back historically, the first providers of anesthesiology services in our country started with a nurse anesthetist or a nurse oh. anesthesiologist back in the civil war, uh, on the fields, these were CRNAs. Um, the Mayo Brothers, I'm sure we may have heard of the Mayo Brothers. You know, they're pretty popular. Uh, all the anesthesia services provided to those two surgeons were done by a nurse anesthesiologist or nurse oh. anesthetist. Um, you know, there's a different background just for uh, you non-medical folks out there. Uh, there's really three types of anesthesia providers uh, in the United States today. There's a nurse anesthesiologist or CRNA, which was what I do. There's what's called a physician anesthesiologist. Um, and then there's also uh, a dental anesthesiologist. Uh, and the three different routes to get there to do what I did, I had to get a bachelor's degree uh, in nursing. I had to practice in the ICU for two years, which served really as my internal medicine rotation. And it was a foundation to where I could go back into a doctorate anesthesia fellowship for three years, get my doctorate and practice independently. For our physician colleagues, they go to undergraduate school and a medical school. Um, and then after that, they go on to an anesthesia residency as well. Uh, both of those tracks are about 10 to 11 years. And then dentists, uh, recently, you, a dentist can go to undergraduate uh, degree, go to dental school, and then they can choose to go as well, a three-year dental residency, and they can practice to their full scope as a dental anesthesiologist. And so it's really nice that we have three different types of providers that a lot of the public doesn't know about, you know, and... Uh, it sounds yeah, like the yeah. trades evolved in a bit. I mean, I, honestly, like the term bite the bullet, you know, 
um, comes from like, you know, in the early, like, you know, 1700s, 1800s, where like, hey, I'm going to amputate your leg, you know, and yep. I'm going to give you a, a, like a heavy shot of Jim Beam. And, uh, and you're literally going to take a bullet, put it in your mouth and bite it to, to <laughs> sure. so you don't bite your tongue off while I cut your leg off or while I go and pull yes. the bullet that's not in your mouth, but that's in your leg. I have to go pull that bullet out. Um, and this is going to hurt like crazy, but you're going to have to get through it. So yeah. move off from that to, uh, you know, to, to where we are today. Do you, do you know, well, you want to comment on that, but I want to know what like the evolution of the trade was, you know? You know, the trade really, a couple things that made uh, anesthesia services really evolve. Uh, First was getting the hardcore sciences into it. The more that we could study and learn more, uh, develop that knowledge base of just anatomy and physiology and the mechanism of action for drugs on the receptor sites, we've been able to perfect that. I mean, you look at the same field, like in technology, electronics, we do that now with the human body, with the anesthesia. And... um, uh, there was something else there I forgot, but that's in a nutshell. <laughs> when was the first, like, do, do you know when the first human to be successfully put under and then brought back out was? I mean, I think it goes back right to the Greeks and Socrates or some, I mean, oh, way really? back then they have, they have, or in Egypt, in Egyptian times, there were, they've always been trying it. So the word, uh, you know, little history here, pharmacopoeia, right. Which uh, has a Greek, um, etymology to it, but it really stands for uh, kind of witchcraft, right? Mm-hmm. And if you kind of look at the medical symbol with the two snakes, and kind of interesting there is that we can change perception, reality, truly, and we can and we can change take your soul, if you will, out of the body with the addition of drugs. They've been trying that for ages. Now we've gotten better at it. You right? were doing. They probably thought yeah. you were like dying, you know, and that they're well, bringing you back to life, you know, back we've then. And a lot of. And a lot of time you were, and you know, so really um, with the anesthesia today, it's easy to knock somebody out. The real trick is bringing them back, right? <laughs> and so we've got really good about bringing them back, right? <laughs> um, and, and I, I kind of make a, you know, when you come in to have surgery, a lot of my patients, you're nervous, right? And, and so I, you know, there's always kind of things to break the ice and, you know, oh, are you going to wake me up? And I say, I always wake you up, you know, um, somebody has to pay the bill. And I know that's tongue in cheek, funny, right? But <laughs> but it's real. I mean, it's really true. We've gotten so good at it, and uh, so yeah. and I'm not not in any hubris. Uh, we've just today's with technology, with drugs that are available, uh, with the residency training programs that we have to go through. Um, we need experts in this field. So I want somebody. Yeah. Not to like. I, I know this is a, an angle we want to be curious though. Like in the 1800s, 1700s, right? Yeah. If they were able, I didn't realize they were able to knock people out and and whatnot since you know that long ago. I I think sure. that this is a new thing in being able to do this over like say the last hundred years, whatever it is. So if they're able to do it in earlier times, why yeah. would they not do it? Like why why are they why are they just giving people shots of whiskey and hoping for the best? Well, know? and it it yeah. was crude, Matt. It was really crude, right? They 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 were experimenting. You know, um, it would essentially be viviologist, uh, I think, right? Like doing human experimentation. Um, well, we can't do that nowadays. We have to have IRB approval. We have to have some ethics involved, et cetera. Uh, really, I'd say the advent that we know as anesthesia uh, today uh, really started in that civil war. 
You know, out of a tragedy, something great was born. And uh, nurse anesthetists, CRNAs were on the battlefield doing it. That's where they started to introduce things like chloroform. They started to introduce things like ether. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, the administration has changed. It's become a lot safer. Um, mm. But that's where they really got good at it, knowing that, hey, we can add a substance and, and knock a patient out, render them insensible to pain, do the surgery, and then wake that patient up as we no longer add any more drugs to it. And mm. yeah, that's kind of evolved, you know. Now, can we go about. into, I know this is a total change, but can we no, go, go in, So a lot of CRNAs here, when I think of a CRNA, yeah. Even when they're the best of the best, they're always working or they're being employed by an anesthesiologist or an anesthesia. Well, you are an anesthesiologist now. Sure. uh, Right. uh, Like a company. So can you explain how you evolved as a provider? Absolutely. Yeah. And and, uh, David, remind me, you are in? I'm in Pennsylvania. Yeah, Pennsylvania. So great buddy of mine, actually my assistant director and my uh, program. Uh, we have a nurse anesthesiologist residency program at National University in Fresno, California. Uh, my assistant program director, uh, he trained in Pennsylvania. And in the model in Pennsylvania, a lot of CRNAs uh, will work under a hospital system, an anesthesia management company. Um, and they use what's called an ACT, an ACT model, which is an anesthesia care team. That's typically where there's one physician anesthesiologist that will supervise and bill for up to four CRNAs. Um, what's interesting is I just said the word supervise and it sounds like it, uh, tells them what to do, et cetera. That's really a billing term, uh, that's in the federal register, uh, for Medicare services. It has nothing to do with what a CRNA does. A CRNA is a complete independent, li- uh, licensed independent practitioner or provider, uh, in almost all 50 States, right? We don't have to have a physician anesthesiologist or there at all. Not much of the public knows that. And as you go to the East Coast, it's really that what, what you experience there, David, an anesthesia care team. Uh, but within every state, you can open up your own practice. You can work with a surgeon. That's what I've um, kind of done. And I can talk about my evolution. Uh, yeah, if that would do. be insightful. So I, so I went to transition. T- yeah, to get into like, because you started individual sole practitioner or like working for, yeah. you know, but you've been, you've been able to build a business out of it. So yeah, please take us through the journey. Yeah, so, so I, um, you know, I went to uh, TCU uh, and finished my anesthesia residency there in 2013. Uh, you know, I'm now a doctor. I'm going to go out and practice. And, and, and I really didn't know what I didn't know. I took a job up at Texas Tech, Suns Up, Guns Up, uh, up in <laughs> Lubbock. Uh, and uh, great, great facility. Worked at uh, TTU, actually, for Texas Tech University there at UMC. I was a W-2 provider. And we had a team of uh, both CRNAs and uh, uh, MDs or DOs doing anesthesia. Uh, was a W-2, and in uh, what a W-2, just like in anything, I would come in, uh, essentially clock in. We didn't have a clock that we would do. Do whatever cases I had to do for the day, go home, and I'd collect a check. Uh, that was never really what I designed to. Uh, prior to ever getting into anesthesia, I wanted to actually be a cardiothoracic surgeon. And when I was around 18, 19, uh, transferring over to Davis, I, I found out what sororities were. Uh, that was cool. And um, somehow I got a C in organic chemistry. And I thought, you know, this is a sign from heaven that I shouldn't go do medicine. It's stupid. And um, after about, you know, two years of being rambunctious, uh, you know, and uh, doing business for a while, which I, I still have a business heart. I love it. Um, I did. I met actually a CRNA 
and I had never heard of what a CRNA was. And, um, and, but he practiced independently in California, you know, had his own practice. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. I can, you know, so I got that A in uh, organic chemistry, you know, fast forward about 10 years of, of, of training and all of that. And, and I'm a W2 up in Lubbock, Texas. Lubbock was great, but I was a California boy and um, it was kind of in the middle of nowhere and it just wasn't uh, what I wanted. I got the opportunity to come back to Fresno, uh, started as a faculty because uh, I had that doctorate. So I had faculty in a residency program and also a private practice. I, I then transitioned from W2 to a 1099 contractor. And what was really unique in there is that I saw that my relationships with people was really kind of what set me apart. You have to do a great anesthetic, you know, uh, if you're, if you're knocking people off, you're not going to practice long. So that was an imperative. You had to do a good quality care, but uh, I developed good relationships with a lot of good surgeons. And um, as time has went on, you know, relationships opened the door to where uh, I was asked to, Hey, can you come do anesthesia at my outpatient center? And I did. And I went from even a 1099 contractor to a business owner to where now I contract directly with uh, Medicare and Medicaid uh, Medi-Cal, um, all the private insurers. And I provided anesthesia services at a vascular outpatient center. Uh, that's involved uh, working with a lot of vascular surgeons, uh, interventional nephrologists, interventional radiologists, uh, plastic surgeons, et cetera. And uh, kind of just snowballed all from relationships. And uh, I brought on other CRNAs. Um, uh, and I, and I, I will bring on a CRNA or an MD. I don't mind how, hiring an MD. Um, typically, what I've found is that a center uh, is going to have to pay a, a subsidiary, a stipend to support the salary commanded by an MD um, versus, you know, I come in and I, uh, you know, do a couple of things. I, I, I relieve some of the operational costs right on day one. Um, uh, there's, there's no payment to me. I, I bill the patient. Uh, we provide excellent anesthesia care. And then that business side that I alluded to earlier, I just kind of see the world that way. So I try to increase efficiency and output via systems and uh, essentially increase the volume for every surgery center I go into, which enhances the bottom line to my surgeons, which are my stakeholders. My That's is a service I'm providing. And, uh, you know, I get something out of it too if we're doing more cases. So I, I call that a win-win. Oh, yeah. So what's the ultimate goal with this company? You're going to keep it running or is it to sell it to private equity or is that top? Well, secret? no, no, it's not top secret. You know, you got to uh, dream big. I, I had never really thought about selling a private equity um, until I went to, uh, I was actually at that go abundance, Matt, uh, that winter mastermind. And we had an investment banker there talking about EBITDA, you know, 5 million EBITDA <laughs> and exits and all of that. And a good friend of mine, uh, Tracy Young, who's big in the, um, anesthesia field, you know, he's a CRNA just like me. Um, you know, he has 68 different facilities he staffs. And um, once you get to that EBITDA above 5 million, which is, you know, he's way above that, you, your multiple is anywhere from eight to 15. Uh, private equity has a huge desire to get into this field. In fact, Envision Healthcare uh, was just bought out by uh, KKR. Um, and KKR bought them for, I think, $8 billion with a B dollars. Wow. And, and they manage anesthesia practices like mine, uh, a lot of them. Uh, they also manage some emergency medicine and, and hospitalists. But no, anesthesia, um, if done right, can, can, uh, can be quite profitable. You know? so, so to answer your question, uh, yes, I am targeting a niche market. Um, whether that means an exit, um, possibly, um, I definitely have a goal to get EBITDA above 5 million. 
Um, I think that's pretty attainable. Uh, and my goal right now is to focus uh, here. I'm out in California. So California, Nevada, and Arizona. Uh, and just increase, you know, there's a lot of, uh, we're seeing in, in, in my field, uh, NORA, N-O-R-A, non-operated room anesthesia. And a good way to think about this is 10, 15 years ago, you went in to have a colonoscopy, right? To check for colon cancer. Yeah. And typically you had a nurse giving you sedation, bent over said, and you were drugged up and all that. Now they have me in there. Right. And, and I give us some drugs that only I can give as a nurse anesthesiologist, propofol, that stuff that killed Michael Jackson. Well, it's because it was in the wrong hands. You put it in my hands, you're going to have a fantastic time. Uh, my point in bringing that up was that they never had anesthesia providers in that setting. Once we got in there, they realized this is the best thing since sliced bread. There's a lot of other opportunity out there that is using a nurse sedation, et cetera, um, that I want to come in and, and remove some of those, you know, overhead costs that you're paying a resident, uh, an RN. Um, and I also want to provide a better anesthetic and, and really a service to the patient. Um, you put all those things together and the marketplace will reward you. So I heard, uh, you know, your, your tricks of the trade, if you will, um, for boosting up EBITDA, which, which I mean, could be translated by anyone uh, listening that owns a business um, about just boosting general profitability of a company, whether it is you want to sell, you want to, you want to run like a healthier ship, you want to be able to compensate and hire better people, whatever it is, to increase sure. profitability. One thing I heard you say was systems, right? Yes. Um, let's unpack that a little bit. And if you can think of maybe a few other ways to boost profit on a company in general, uh, we can go there too. But first, um, on the system side, what are some systems um, and, uh, that, that you've integrated uh, that, that have been the biggest wins that, that you wish uh, that you wish that just that, that have been like a big success for you on a system side for your company? Uh, yeah, there's been a ton. Great question. So I think, and I just read a friend of mine just uh, wrote a book Um called Catching Knives, little plug there for Jay yeah. Karras. You know, I, I think that. you see I, that. Yeah. And he has a great quote. He said, goals are for people that want to win once. Systems are for people who want to win repeatedly. Mm. And I think that's worth uh, noting. But, you know, I can only replicate myself um, or do up to a certain point and then I burn out. But if I can develop systems, I can replicate what I do. And it's using Pareto's principle. If I can get someone to do 80% of what I do, that's a recipe for success. And, and so I've developed systems um, from credentialing providers, recruitment, um, using social media to find other uh, CRNAs to come uh, work for me, credentialing them. Within the surgical setting, um, you know, knowing did, for each different type of procedure, essentially developing a recipe for that um, of what works well. So that I've introduced new novel drugs uh, new techniques. We mm -hmm. add, we do a lot of regional anesthesia, not just knocking you out and putting you out, but I do a lot of nerve blocks to where I can anesthetize a part of the body, which is safer for a patient's cardiopulmonary system. Also prevents post-op nausea and vomiting because I'm not using those heavy narcotics. I'm preventing them from possibly getting addicted to narcotics, right? So all of these things that help um, systems to where when they come in, they know what insurance paperwork I need, how I want that patient pre op to where instead of having a 30, 45 minute input, by the time you hit my door in 15 minutes, I can have you in the operating room safely. Mm -hmm. And that's unheard of. And so when we can do that, we really increase our throughput. By utilizing the certain drugs and recipes at all of my centers that we're doing, we decrease the discharge time. So instead of waiting two to four hours for discharge, uh, I can have you out in close as 30 minutes. 
which is phenomenal. And so I'm opening up bays. Um, and it's just, you know, all of this, you have different types of capital and one of that is human capital. And so developing um, best practices to have the whole team be on board, you know, have it think it's their idea, feel appreciated, uh, you know, and yeah. Um, just a comment on that, because I think that there's some businesses where their their path to profitability is how can I charge the absolute most that I can for my product and, and absolutely, you know, get the consumer to pay the most, right? Sure. Or you can increase throughput, you know, and, and, and collapse bottlenecks and make things uh, operate faster. But at the end of the day, as a consumer, that's a win-win, right? Because then I'm sure. in and out faster. I'm, pro- I'm not just sitting around, you know, w- waiting for somebody to come tell me they're ready. The doctor will see you now, whatever it is. Right. Right? I'm ready for my procedure. And also I'm back out. And in 30 minutes, or I mean, that's that's nuts, you know? Um, and that's, Pretty crazy, that's, but it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure it's challenging, but it's also a benefit because then, as you said to you, you open up that bed, you've got staff ready to, do, to process the next patient. They're feeling productive because they're helping more people. The patient's back on the road. And also from a profitability perspective, you're able to make more money because not because you're, you know, out there, you know, gouging people, but because you're just processing more people, you're processing more patients in that. So it's great. We're serving more. Yes. We're providing more services and, um, and every one of our patients doesn't feel like they're being pushed out. They're getting the exact, we're we're having that high uh, touch, right? That high value touch in a short amount of time. And if we can accomplish that, it is truly a win-win and we accomplish that. Um, you know, and I make the comment, uh, you know, I, yeah. Anyways. No, no, no. Make the comment. Make the comment. Mm. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> so uh, once you bring my services in or, or CRNAs in a general and the ones that are part of our team, you try us once or twice, you'll never get rid of us. Um, right. You won't want to, you won't want to. Um, and I think that's the recipe for success. You know, really, I mean, it, it's, I used to think it was out to the East or Coast. Beef. Yeah. Right. Hey, Jail there's it. guys out there on the East Coast that are killing it that you just don't hear of, hear of. But I think is, you know, healthcare is evolving and changing. Um, you see that shift on payer mix for Medicare and all of that, where there's less dollars with more people needing more patients. And, and so the uh, the days of paying, you know, in a hospital, an anesthesiologist, eight to $900,000 a year to, to uh do what's always been done. Those are gone. Those days are gone. And so you can still earn that, but you're going to have to work and provide the value. And so finding out how do we provide that value, um, that that's really where it's at, you know, um, go back. Can you also, Oh, sorry, Matt, go for it. Well, I wanted to, I mean, maybe you could run with this, David, but the, the whole thing about it, and I know you've done this in your company, David, but an expanding EBITDA, we talked about business systems and stuff like that. Are there other things to unpack around expansion and profitability, expansion of business growth, expansion of um, of the bottom line so that you can run a healthier company, but also so if you want to exit through a sale or whatever it may be, um, that's more possible. Are there other, other tips you have and the systems is great. And that was a great, uh, uh, a great rundown there. Anything else that we should get into? Was that for me or David? I'm sorry. No, you. that's for you. You. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, great question. Uh, Outside of systems, you know, we've added other services. So I talked about in my trade, the regional anesthesia. Um, you know, 40 years ago, if you went into to have any type of uh, surgical procedure, it was typically you're gassed out, 
You, you go all the way to sleep. You get an endotracheal tube. You wake up. You're in excruciating pain. You're throwing up because they're throwing pills at you to kill the pain that doesn't work. You take so many because you're in pain trying to make it go away and you're throwing up. You have kind of this terrible experience. You, you ask a lot of people, what are they scared of in surgery? I get this a lot. And, and sorry, my yeah. thing going off there. Uh, what they were afraid of throwing up, right? Post-op nausea and vomiting is a huge complication. That and not waking up, right? Which mm-hmm. all have to do with my trade, anesthesia. Um, so I institute uh, peripheral nerve walks, right? Regional anesthesia to where I can localize depending upon the site we're doing. If we're going to be doing a knee surgery, I do a nerve block that takes away the feeling, sensation, pain to that knee to where, you know, we, we do a if you ever saw an orthopedic surgery on YouTube, you would be uh, shocked at the the barbaric procedures that it is. But, you know, that's when I, I said earlier, I keep you alive while he's trying to kill you. Uh, <laughs> but we, we, we institute that regional anesthesia to where you don't need all those narcotics and it actually promotes healing and et cetera. By implementing or adding those services lines to the places I go into, um, we add value and we also get a little bit uh, reimbursement for it. I think one of the things that is a non-medical uh, provider that a lot of people don't understand and is you're, you're taking the role of being, you know, running the business, coming up with these systems. And then at the same time, you're providing anesthesia. So you're yeah. doing and, and it's really tough to balance it. I mean, we yeah. see it in all aspects of the medical field where, I mean, there's times that I'm taking out the garbage just to make things run more efficiently. And people will come in and be like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, to make it more efficient. And can you talk about that a little bit about all the roles you play and how you balance, how you see patients, how you, you know, do all that? Absolutely. Sure. And I think it hit the nail on the head, right? That added service I've seen and, and I've tried to not model um, historically, you know, once you become the doctor, you're kind of so important. You can't take out the trash. Like you said, mm-hmm. you can't do that. That's a, that's a nurse's job. That's somebody else. And I've just never had that philosophy. Um, I grew up uh, with a working family. My grandfather was a tool and die maker. My dad is a tool and die maker. We had vineyards. I picked grapes growing up. Uh, and it's so valuable. You know, I remember, I remember I used to resent my dad would pay me lower than anybody else to do some jobs. And, um, I, you know, I, I thought, hey, you have the money, you should pay me. And thank God for that work ethic. So uh, today, you know, I do the same thing. I'll clean, I'll take out the trash. When I walk in, um, there's usually patients waiting because we're screening for COVID now. And, and I just say hi to them. I treat them like a human being. And today, this when I was pre-op in a patient, uh, he goes, was that you who came in today and, and waved? And I go, yeah. They're like, man, that just brightened my day. And, and I don't say that to brag, but I say that's the little things. Like if you can see me picking up, tra- you know, I pick up trash on the floor and I do it. Actually, I think, uh, well, uh, I personally do it because I think it's what I need to do to be a healthy person. Um, I don't particularly want to pick up trash. It's not mine, but I think it's the right thing to do. And so I try to act as if, um, I think if we can do that and serve in all different areas, uh, yeah, I hope I answered your question. I think the real thing is, is how do you balance it? Like, so you got everything running here and how do you be the provider here and do all the other stuff? And, And how do you, you phase that in? Uh, that's a great question. I think it's uh, always learning. Um, you know, I, I honestly, I think it starts how I start my morning. Uh, I'm up at 5 a.m. I have my ritual uh, that I do. I exercise every morning. Um, I try to eat right. 
And, and then I try, I really recently got into um, being all in where I'm at, but then I shut it off at a certain time. Um, if it happens, great. If it doesn't, great. And I try not to complicate it more than that. I don't have an ad. There's no, I haven't figured it out. I, I, I can tend to work, you know, um, you know, up to 16 hours a day sometimes. I'm not doing that as much anymore because that leads to burnout. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know if I have a right answer for that. I wish I did. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's, yeah. it's a, for me, anyway, it's just a way of being, you know. Um, it, it's about kind of choosing. It's not about doing, it's about being. Uh, meaning like mm-hmm. if I were to, you know, if, if my day was a movie, what the title of the movie would be, you know? Um, sure. That. So so it, it's, it's about choosing how I want to show up to the world. And that's just, for me, it's just inspiring yeah. and action and service, everything like that. So it's about that. That's perhaps that perhaps yeah. is what it is. It's about, and it's, it's also about starting your day, right. Which is, uh, you know, the, the way you are the first, maybe half an hour of your day. I mean, you know, uh, Dr. Iggy, yeah. I think you're huge, um, was starting the day the right way. And that, that was one of your health tips uh, a few episodes ago about like, just getting moving early. As soon as you get up in the morning, move your body. Um, and that, but it, it kind of like, it's, it's, it's like you set the standard for the day um, to sure. be in service, positive in action uh, for the for, for the rest of the interaction. So yeah, I, I get it. So, um, yeah. so so that's good stuff. So you're uh, about increasing EBITDA. Those are some good notes, guys uh, that, that are that are listening. In that um, you know business systems, I think about just being in solution mode and choosing who you want to be as the owner of the company is a great way too. Um, I also, one thing you haven't said yet, uh, as but I'm sure you would agree, is, is in that collaboration energy that you brought about, about collaborating with the other docs and the other services that need yeah. SD, the, the, your, your services and things like that, about yeah. being a collaborator with other business owners and other service providers about yeah. like, how can I help them win and succeed together and not, obviously not an adversarial relationship uh, as well. Yeah. Is that something you would want to comment on? Sure. Um, you know, I was having some text from uh, a friend of mine, and and I, I use that word purposely, who's also a surgeon at another center I used to work at. We're going to have uh, lunch this weekend together. Um, she's interested in real estate, right? And so I'm going to share some things on that we haven't talked about yet. But the key when I said friend, these are my friends I work with. You know, you spend more time at work with the people at your, your job than you do with your own family. Mm-hmm. I better learn to love them. Right. So they can love me. I, and I mean that. Um, so it, I'm very cognizant of that. Uh, I'm here to serve them. Um, and I get more out of it. Right. Like in every dimension of my life, if we can be friends. And and I, I don't know, I've always just uh, made relationships. And so, you know, we'll go ride bikes t- together. I'm a cyclist. Um, we, we'll you go drive sports. That. I, yeah, I am, too. Are you? OK. Yeah. Hey, I love we'll talk offline, too, even on yeah. that. I love cycling uh, yeah. every morning. So, um, awesome. but you know, we do, we do things together. Uh, there's a, uh, uh, kind of an exotic car rally coming up in Southern California and me and the surgeon that owns this center, we're, we're probably going to go to that and, uh, just, you know, we break bread together. Um, we do life together and, and a part of our life is work. Yep. Um, but it's beyond and, that, right? I get that. If you develop that level of you know, camaraderie, uh, with people that you're building, you're building with, you kind of learn to lean on each other, you know, you kind of build it. It's, it's like a sure. tribe and that's something go abundance is usual. That term go abundance is usual. Yeah. Building yeah. a tribe. Um, and there's a book tribal leadership. Um, that's a, that's a great mm-hmm. book. That's kind of about that. Just 
you know, building your little, uh, your, your community of people that you truly lean on each other for. So, um, as you alluded before, uh, we should transition to, um, uh, to the, to the, just the passive side of what you've done. Sure. Uh, real estate, passive investments, everything like that. Yeah. yeah. Owning a business is great. You know, it, it, can, it can be very successful, very rewarding, but at the end of the day, you also want to, um, you know, build up your net worth, have passive income coming from other ventures. So what have you done so far and what do you want to do? What have you learned from your passive income ventures so far? Yeah, it's really been a journey. I first started out, you know, was getting out of medical school debt. And so, you know, I, uh, I got out of that, uh, as quick as I could. And instead of, you know, there's a saying live like a resident. So once I was out of debt, instead of, you know, going and buying all the fancy stuff, I started to invest that huge amount that I was paying out of student loan debt every month. So, you know, that book, uh, richest man in Babylon, it's really mm-hmm. that simple, you know, control thy expenditures, right. Save, save a percentage. And I, I save that percentage and now I invest it in stuff. I know started with stocks and I'm, I'm not really doing stocks anymore at all. Uh, primarily doing a, a lot of real estate. And, um, I've been active and I'm, I'm doing some passive as well. Uh, we have a small portfolio right now that's uh, growing. We have seven apartments, multifamily. Um, and we also have a commercial building. We have 15,000 square feet of light industrial. Um, those are all been stabilized. We put in the work to stabilize them and now they're performing. Um, and I love them right now. We're, we're, uh, you know, I think we net cash flow close to um, we're approaching five figure net cash flow per month, um, which is nice, which is nice. And, um, you know, I want to increase that even more. Um, Also, you know, nothing that I've really tangibly been able to uh, do on the commercial side, but I got all my capital back and getting into that and seeing, you know, having, you know, having some really big wins, making over a year income in, in less than a quarter, uh, by just repositioning some assets was eye-opening to me and intriguing. And it kind of used the business side. Like, I love this. I want more of that. And I had time. I'm like, you know, if I just do a couple of these a year for six months, I get six months off. I made double my anesthesia income, which is great. Um, so we, we, that's where we've been. Uh, we've been recently, Matt, you and I've talked, right, on the, uh, getting involved in, in bigger deals that I can't do as a solo person, partnering with others and uh, syndications, real estate syndications, Um looking at that, whether it's on the LP or GP side, uh, but definitely real estate is, is where we're looking. I don't think, um, I heard a, a saying a while ago, you know, it, with real estate, what's good is a bad time will make a bad deal good and it'll make a good deal great. And, and not that I'm looking for <laughs> bad deals, but I think the asset class of real estate is pretty phenomenal. If you can surround yourself with others, learn to underwrite a deal and, and make it to where you can hold it over this period of time, you can't hardly screw up. I mean, you really can't. And um, I love, and I have control over it. And learning how leverage works and financing and banks work. Um, man, I can control the value of my assets by changing that NOI, right? And by increasing, you know, adding some types of CAM back to my, yep. you know, all these different things I had no idea of. And, and I love it. Not only does it add to my cash flow, but it adds to my value, which allows me to pull my initial capital back out and recirculate it. Um, we love that. On the other passive side, I just... Uh, you know, kind of got off track. It's working, um, but I, I got a bought an automated uh, Amazon uh, FBA company and a Walmart drop shipping company. Um, mm. I just put up the capital, and um, I have VAs manage everything. I have a company that manages the VAs. Um, everything's in my name, and uh, you know, we have a sixty-five thirty-five split. Uh, it's it's a hundred percent passive. I don't do anything except provide the uh, card uh, for them to you know hopefully spend spend about fifty grand a month. Um, they charge in supplies and I make about a 15% profit. 
that ends up getting split and um, Amazon and Walmart deposit directly into my account. Um, what is that? What is an Amazon FBA? Uh, I believe yeah. I know what it is, but just for our audience. It's e-commerce. Yeah. Yeah. So it's e-commerce. Uh, FBA is fulfillment by Amazon. And so um, I have a company, uh, I have two, Criterion Wholesale and Criterion Wholesalers uh, and that are on Amazon and Walmart respectively. Um, if, if you were going to go to Amazon.com and buy a widget, you know, a hammer, you know, my company sells hammers. It sells all kinds of stuff. Uh <laughs> My uh, the automated part is it tries to you know essentially uh, send you to buy from me search engine optimization within Amazon and you buy that product from me FBA fulfillment by Amazon I never touch the product in fact I don't do any of this that's what the other people are doing that that's why they get that thirty five percent but the Amazon has this inventory at their warehouses and they will ship it to you through them a piece of that gross profit goes to Amazon for doing all of that and then once that net is done. That's the 65-35 split. And, um, you know, I did it because I, it was, um, I paid 75 grand for both stores and um, I got it contractually to where I would, um, you know, essentially have a return of capital on year one in contract. So I was like, okay, it's worth a, it's worth a try. And, um, and really uh, my returns about 30% per year, which was uh, wow. that is pretty, nice. pretty neat. I, I don't think I'm going to open up five or six of these Amazon stores, but it's just another source of passive income. Yeah. Um, but it's not that people know, people know that it is a source of passive income because it's it's all behind the wall, right? When you go on Amazon.com, you don't realize the coffin machine that you're buying or the hammer that you're buying or whatever it is, is likely sold by somebody else. You're actually buying um, all of it from Joe Martin. All right? of it. All, yeah. all of it is sold. I had no idea. And, you know, so going through the process of, of meeting with the Amazon people and all of that was new and going through the vetting process. Uh, but no, e-com's big, obviously. And, yeah. um, you know, even within GoBundance, um, I met a I met a few uh, people that were big into the e-com space that are uh, crushing it over seven figures a year. And wow. um, I had no idea. So, um yeah, no, it's something I've explored too. Um, for right now, I'm going to stay in my lane, but it, it is something that <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Those, those may not know that is it is a great source of passive income. There are systemization, there's systems, there's courses you can take on how to do it and everything like that, guys. So, um, I, so Matt, I so, want to say something real quick. Please. I think you hit the nail on the head. Stay in your lane. So I, I did all of this. You know, it's so funny. The more you start to see all these different investments that are out there and like a kid in the candy shop, I want it all. And, uh, boy, that's just not the right recipe for me. And I don't think for anybody like, um, you know, read that book, the one thing right by Gary Keller, Yes. focus on what you're good at and go all in on it and watch it like a hawk. And I believe that like, and, and for us, that is real estate. Um, I had already committed to this, uh, Amazon thing and it's going thankfully, but I wouldn't do it again, not because it's bad, but because it takes uh, my focus and everything else. And I look, I want free time. So if I'm having to think about, 50 different businesses, it's just not good for me. I, I can uh, I can focus that energy building my real estate portfolio. And um, yeah. yeah. So don't that's do awesome. that per se. I'm just telling you, that's what I've done. Uh, I don't know if I would do it again, not because it's bad. It's just multiple links. That's a great tip. Um, well, Dr. Joe Martin, I think that that's, that's a, that's a great kind of placeholder to put there. Sure. Um, you know, and I think that we'd love to talk to you further. This is one of these things where like, I think that we're just witnessing a, uh, a, a expansion of, of where you're going and, and, uh, you know, sure. I look forward to keeping in touch with you 
and seeing where things go and maybe doing a check-in show with you on how things are going with the practice and also with, um, with as we call it in GoBundance, your horizontal income uh, yeah. and go and expand that too. Um, so I uh, look forward to checking in with you. I, now, the uh, we're going to put you on the spot here, uh, my friend, for the next uh, round of questions, which is what we lovingly call the final exam. So uh, right. if you're ready for the final exam, uh, Dr. Let's Rigby, do it. You take it away with the first question. Are you ready? Let's go. Thank you, guys. <laughs> what book or film changed your life? What book or film changed my life? Wow. Uh, Think and Grow Rich. I mean, there's so Ooh, many. I'm an yeah. avid reader. Uh, but I would say Think and Grow Rich. Uh, you know, mindset is everything. I realize uh, the the longer I'm on this journey, uh, the only limitations and barriers exist. They stay are in my mind, and anything that I've ever wanted to have, it began with a thought. And I know that sounds weird, maybe to some, but it's really not. You know, I was a skeptic until I until I started to explore it. And uh, yeah, yeah, think, think, and grow, and you can get rich. No, no, the word <laughs> the, the the title says it all. Think first, then you will grow, and then you'll get rich. Right. Um, all right. Next, uh, if you had another 10 hours a week, what would you do with it? Spend it with my family, spend it with my friends, exercise, have a hobby, you know? So, uh, we do this thing called life happiness index and go abundance. And, uh, you know, it's easy to focus on the things I'm good at business and investing and all of that. And, uh, you know, the time I spend with my wife or my kids or my friends or my hobbies, um, I can pull back on that, you know? And, um, so yeah. I would spend it more, you know, playing tennis with the boy, ping pong with, with the kids. Uh, I love cycling. I, I used to cycle 15 hours a week and I miss it. And uh, I would do that more. You so know, you would have more fun with people you love, man. Right. So that's what matters. Yeah. Cool. All right. So then we get to it. What do you do for fun? Sure. Uh, fun. I, I love cycling. Uh, avid cyclist. Um, like I said, I used to cycle. I used to be on a, I was actually on a uh, amateur cycling team and, and loved it. Uh, it was racing criteria. Uh, it was Revs. Now it's Velo Kings. Uh, Revs was pretty good. We had the state, we still have the state champion was on our team and um, uh, raced all over. Uh, had got taken out in a, in a wreck. Uh, my front wheel didn't protect it, went down, had a bad concussion and I'm out. I'm two years out and I still get some concussive symptoms. So uh, pretty bad. You know, I don't race anymore, but I love riding. I've done some some big uh, uh, Grand Fondos. You know, one of the top five in the country uh, is called Climb to Kaiser. It's 155 miles with 15,000 feet of climb, and I think I got 17th place my first year I did it. So, it oh was, wow! So you're a good climber. Yeah. I can be if I'm if my weight's on point. Yeah, right. Always about the weight. <laughs> nice. Yep. Um, if you could not be a medical practitioner. What profession would you have? Sales, uh, uh, real estate, uh, probably real estate and sales. Uh, you know, there's another, you can go YouTube it, but uh, The Strangest Secret by uh, Earl Nightingale. I love yeah. that. You can YouTube it, read the book. Um, and he says something in there, sales is the uh, not only the best well-paid profession, but you get to deal with people and provide solutions. And that's just yeah. kind of, I love people. Yeah, that's a great audio program that I've listened to. It, it it's got to be 60, 70 years old. Uh, it's yep. got the strangest secret. I still have it on CD. Uh, and yeah. it, it's a great program. So, um, yeah, go ahead, David. 
All right. Where do you see yourself in five years? I guess that's sure. if, if private equity takes over. Yeah, or even if it doesn't, you know, we're setting up a real estate portfolio to take over. Um, you know, I've actually just got done writing my vivid vision, um, which is on a three-year time frame. But in five years, um, completely have my nice anesthesia income uh, replaced with horizontal income. Uh, not that I would retire from it, but I would serve more in a managerial role, pass the baton and as far as clinically doing it. Um, and, and just managing our, uh, you know, I want to set up a family office. And so I'm actually working on that with my dad, uh, who has his own portfolio, and get it to where my kids uh, can hopefully manage assets. And hopefully there's enough coming in to where we can do that. And, and I'll say it's not just about the asset management, but my dad and I, we had dinner last night. And it's like, I want our family name and our family values to mean something and to help others. Like, it's not just so we can go do cool stuff, but there's a lot of people out there that never had mentors. Um, I would like to be able to spend my time going to those. Doesn't have to be inner city, but to go to kids that never had somebody tell them, "Hey, education matters. Hey, you can think and grow rich," uh, and spend that time giving back because I think a lot of they just, you know, it's passionate. I, I, I the longer I do this, the more I realize if it wasn't for others, I wouldn't be here. And I'm so grateful. I want to pass that on. I want to be the the guy that I wish I had in my life at that age. So, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Believe it or not, anesthesiologist or cardiac surgeon. Why? Is <laughs> a yeah. family member or no? Played golf, and my dad told me that anesthesiologists made a million dollars a year at seven <laughs> years old. I won't forget. I was like, you know, and and the anesthesiologist told me, yeah, the cardiac surgeon makes more. And so I just I don't know why, you know, but we we're it seemed like something I wanted to do. Nice. All right, one bucket list item you have not accomplished: cycling the Alps. I'll go with you. Nice. Let's go. Nice, nice. We'll schedule a healthy, wealthy, wise guys uh, trip. Uh, there you go. Dual excursion. Those of you guys who want to join us on that. Um, great. Well, listen, uh, Joe Martin, if folks, if folks want to Thank hear you. more about you, uh, how do they do that? How do they reach out to you? How do they contact you to, uh, to hear what you're up to and, and to take to the next step? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Facebook, just Joseph Martin, or uh, on Instagram, Etherscreen, or Joseph Martin. Uh, you can also go to my website, aainc.team. That's A-A-I-N-C dot T-E-A-M. Awesome. Uh, and we'll uh, try to link that in the show notes, too. Um, well, Dr. Joseph Martin, great having you today. We'll, uh, we, we've been My pleasure. Thank you, guys. We've been, almost every guest we've had. We've had to cut the conversation short. I always, I always say, we'll have to have you back on the show. And so I'll say it again, we'll have to have you back on the show because it's been an amazing Thank conversation you. and we'll have to have you back in uh, to pick up all kinds of stuff, everything from cycling uh, to more real estate conversations and pick it up. Absolutely. So um, it'd be a pleasure. Been great having you. Have a great day. And, um, Thank and I you. appreciate you again. Matt, David, thank you both. Have a great day, gentlemen. Thank you. Man, Dr. Iggy, that was a great episode. What did you think? Incredible. <laughs> I... Not just that he's a cyclist. When they, I know, when they and I know that was me. When he said cycling for the first time, I was like, "Oh, here we go, Doctor." I was good. There. I was good. I did not take it to there, only okay. for a little bit and after the fact. Well, but yeah, maybe we might have to have him back on to just have you two talk cycling the whole time. You know, maybe we we'll have to do, do a cycling that. episode. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, amazing. What was your big takeaway? Building business, great tips about building business, great tips about uh, about Amazon resale, uh, great tips about real estate ventures and expanding real estate. Um, and uh, yet again, I say this every episode almost, I, but I really feel like we need to bring uh, Dr. Joe Martin back on 
uh, to talk more about uh, about some of the things and then little niches that he get nuggets he dropped out on the show. Yeah, I mean, in the mindset part, yes. you know, he he kept. I don't know if you're watching this live, but he was talking about think, think and grow rich. Think, yes. think, yes. and that was the big thing. And once again, we have another guest that has a morning routine, wakes up at five, and and this is more than likely going to be consistent theme throughout uh, all of this, that you're going to have a morning routine. You're going to do something. What do you think about that? Well, I think that morning routine, and that's something we can touch it on deep in the health, in the, on the health tip side is let's design a morning routine. Maybe that is something that, that, that we can inspire Dr. Iggy to write a white paper on is a great, uh, mm-hmm. great morning routine and post it up on Matt and Iggy.com. I'll just throw that out there as a little hand and grenade to Dr. Iggy for something he could create for us. Um, here's something else I heard, which is something as I could do as a white paper myself as well. This is, he's got to be uh, the third or fourth guest we've had recently that has talked about the first thing he did when he got out of medical school was focus on getting himself out of those student debts. Right. Yes. Um, I, I think that that is a great key to success is to burn through those student loans uh, as quickly as you can and open yourself up to the cash flow possibilities that are there by reduction of debt, not just by increasing of income, but also reduction of debt. Um, I can think of multiple guests that brought that up as one of the first things they did when they got out of medical school. So I was uh, reminded of that as well. Reduction of bad debt, we should say. Yes. Reduction of bad debt. Right. And that, that's another um, another wealth tip I can discuss too. Um, so great episode, guys. As I said, do not forget to check us out at mattandiggy.com to hear about some cool stuff that we're up to and make sure you guys check us out on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise Guys show with Matt and Dr. Iggy. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you like what we do, please check us out at mattandiggy.com. Thanks for listening again and have a great day.